Hi, this is Dr. John Day with another episode of Get Your Life Back in Rhythm with cardiologist Dr. John Day, and that's me. And our job is to optimize for longevity, cardiac performance, and normal rhythm. You can find an equal episode of this on our blog, YouTube, podcast, or sign up for my newsletter at drjohnday.com. So let's jump into our topic today. Get your heart back in rhythm. So the first study I want to talk about is early rhythm control. And this is from the New England Journal of Medicine, which is the most prestigious medical journal, where early rhythm control therapy in patients with atrial fibrillation. Now, just to put this in context, what does early mean? That means your atrial fibrillation has been diagnosed within the last 12 months. So what they're really looking at is if we can get patients quickly back into rhythm, and I would argue that this isn't even quickly, um, as they are taking up to 12 months to get the heart from atrial fibrillation back to normal sinus rhythm. But anyway, at least according to this study, that's considered quick. If you get the heart quickly back into rhythm, does it make a difference? So this was a multi-center study from a number of different hospitals in Europe. The bottom line is they saw 22% less cardiovascular diseases or deaths, strokes, or hospitalizations. Um, here you can see 11 countries, 135 centers, almost 3,000 patients, usual care here in red, early rhythm control here in blue. And early rhythm control, or in other words, getting people back into rhythm within a year um, had a significant impact in that there were 22% less cardiovascular deaths, strokes, or hospitalizations. How do they keep patients in rhythm? These are the top three methods they used. Flecainide, which is an antiarrhythmic designed to hold the heart in rhythm. Amiodarone, which is the most powerful antiarrhythmic to hold the heart in rhythm. Third is ablation. Based on my discussions with the lead authors of the study, even though only 20% of the patients in the study had an ablation, the impact from ablation is what they felt was the main driver as to the reason why there were 22% less cardiovascular deaths, strokes, or hospitalizations if you can get the patient back into rhythm within a year. And I would argue a year is way too long. In our practice, if a patient calls um, with their heart out of rhythm, we will offer them a cardioversion same day. So, while we offer one-day cardioversion to our patients that need it, in the study it was a year. I would argue the results probably would have been much more significant if they were a little quicker in getting patients back in rhythm. And so my question is, if normal sinus rhythm is the goal, then why wait? Why wait up to a year in this study? The sooner the better. This is a follow-up study from that same study, the EAST AF study. This was just recently published in circulation, early rhythm control. Once again, I'm arguing this is not early rhythm control. They're taking up to a year. This is not early rhythm control in patients with atrial fibrillation and heart failure. In other words, within the heart failure group of patients, which is a higher risk group of patients, this is a group of patients that really needs normal sinus rhythm, does it make a difference if you can quickly get them back in rhythm? And once again, I would argue this wasn't quick, taking up to a year. Well, this is what they found. Um, looking at cardiovascular deaths, strokes, or hospitalizations, there were 798 of the total of nearly 3,000 patients with heart failure in the EAST AF study. And once again, usual care in red, uh, early rhythm control, in other words, doing something within a year, which is definitely not early in my book, but yes, 
um, they were able to decrease the risk of cardiovascular death, strokes, or hospitalization. Then they looked at the patients with heart failure and a left ventricular ejection fraction reduced. So these are the worst of the worst heart failure patients. They have very weak pumping hearts. And even though it didn't quite reach statistical significance, just because the numbers were so low, you can only see, you can see here, there's only maybe 120, 130 patients and it drops out over time. Um, but at least there was a trend toward better survival, less cardiovascular death, strokes, hospitalizations um, by early intervention. This brings me up to a topic, and this is something that we feel very strongly about and we've been involved with for quite some time. This is an article I wrote with Dr. Jared Bunch, who was also my co-author in the Atrial Fibrillation, that best-selling uh, AFib book that even six months later, we're still at least in the top 10 every day, often in the number one spot on Amazon adverse remodeling of the left atrium in patients with atrial fibrillation. When is the tipping point in which structural changes become permanent? What are we talking about here? There is a tipping point. There is a point that if you leave a heart out of rhythm for too long, you can pass the point of no return. So you want to intervene quickly. You don't want to wait a year. I would not call a year early. In our practice, we offer a cardioversion within a day. So does it matter? Is there a point when there are too many degenerative changes? As I've told my patients many, many, many times, we talk about this in the atrial fibrillation cure. The longer you are out of rhythm, the harder it is to correct. There are degenerative changes. The left atrium starts enlarging, stretching out, disrupting electrical pathways, causing more fibrosis and scar tissue. So earlier intervention is better. And from this article, we report that you can have electrical changes within the heart with just being out of rhythm, 30 minutes. Five weeks of continuous, continuously being out of rhythm can lead to fibrosis, which is also known as scar tissue. You do not want this early intervention. And my definition of early intervention, as you know, is much, much, much quicker than a year. Um, this is what we don't want to see. This is an end stage uh, picture. And for those of you who are watching on video, you can see that the bottom here, the, the atrium, the, the left atrium, the right atrium are about twice the size of the ventricles. Usually it's the other way around, but that's what's happened. If you leave a heart out of rhythm too long, it starts enlarging, stretching out, and you can pass the point of no return and cross over that tipping point so that whatever you do, you cannot get that heart back into rhythm. So there is a, a, a time period, and for everybody that time period is different, wherein you can no longer get the heart back into normal sinus rhythm. So backing up, why is AFib so bad? We know AFib results in a five-fold increased stroke risk. It doubles the dementia risk, and we wrote all of the main studies on this as they first came out. It doubles your risk of heart failure. It doubles your risk of a premature uh, death. It increases your risk of a myocardial infarction. There are also some data that it increases your risk of kidney failure. We know that patients who are out of rhythm have a decreased quality of life with atrial fibrillation. They typically have fatigue, shortness of breath, their cognition, their thinking may not be as clear. Um, and being in atrial fibrillation can easily add two to five extra medications a day. That is something that most of, at least the patients that I see or come to see me are not looking for taking a handful of medications every day. This was another study that we published uh, 
Dr. Bunch was the lead author. I was the senior author in the study. Increasing time between first diagnosis of atrial fibrillation and catheter ablation adversely affects long-term outcomes. What are we saying here? What we found is that the longer you dilly-dally around, the longer the time period from when atrial fibrillation is diagnosed until an ablation can happen, the worse the long-term outcomes. Now, it's important to remember that up to half of all patients can put their AFib into remission, no drugs, no procedures, provided they act immediately. Once again, that tipping point, you've got to intervene before you cross that tipping point, wherein what, no matter what you do, nothing works. So you've got to move quickly if you're diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. This was the graph that we had in our uh, article that was published, looking at uh, outcomes out to three years. The quicker the diagnosis to ablation, the better the long-term success rates. If it was several years from when AFib was diagnosed until you had the ablation, success rates are much worse. So once again, the sooner you can act, the better your long-term success rate. So what else did we find as far as a delayed versus a quick ablation for atrial fibrillation? What we found is that delaying the time from diagnosis to ablation increased the risk of death in the study by 2.46, almost two and a half fold increased mortality risk. Now it's important to remember this was not a randomized controlled trial. This was a retrospective trial of our patients here in the Salt Lake City area uh, in Utah. Also, in delaying the ablation, so this is a delay from diagnosis to ablation, it increased the risk of a heart failure hospitalization by 1.7-fold. That makes sense. The longer you leave a heart in AFib, the more likely that patient will wind up in the hospital with atrial fibrillation and a hospitalization uh, to, optimize, to try to get their heart working properly again. We also saw a trend toward an increased risk of stroke it did not reach statistical significance in delaying from diagnosis to ablation. So bringing it all together, these are my thoughts about early rhythm control. First, the sooner you can get the heart back into rhythm, the better. Waiting up to a year like the EAST AF study in my mind is unacceptable. The sooner, the better. Um, and we encourage our patients, if atrial fibrillation is bothering them, if there is a, a significant chance that we can get them back in rhythm and maintain normal rhythm, um, for many patients, that's an option. Now, obviously, there are cases, maybe in the elderly and sedentary, they've been out of rhythm for years and years and years. The left atrium is already significantly stretched out. In these patients, if it's not bothering them and the chances of success are way low, maybe we might leave them in atrial fibrillation just because they've already passed that tipping point. So the sooner the better. Number two, if your goal is normal sinus rhythm, my question is why wait? The sooner you can get back into rhythm, the better. And the longer you wait, the harder it is to get the heart back into rhythm and then to keep it in rhythm. Number three, every patient's tipping point is different. In our younger patient population, they have more time from when there's irreversible fibrosis or scar tissue. In the older patient group, that tipping point might be a very short period of time. Um, and so it varies from patient to patient. And we don't know how long you can leave a heart in AFib before it is too late. Those things we don't know. Number four, be proactive in getting the care you need. I can't tell you how many times I've been referred a patient um, that 
They dilly-dally around. They're diagnosed with AFib. They talk about, say, a cardioversion, getting the patient back in rhythm. A month or two pass. Then they do it. Then they have them follow up and clean. It just delay, delay, delay. Time is of the essence. The longer the heart is in AFib, the harder it is to correct. Be proactive, take control. If your goal is sinus rhythm, you may need to help prod, push, encourage your cardiologist. Hopefully you're seeing an electrophysiologist or an EP, and that's a doctor who specializes in atrial fibrillation, who often are a little bit more attentive to the seriousness of atrial fibrillation and getting hearts back into rhythm. Number five, every patient, every case is unique. You may be a great candidate for early rhythm control, or maybe you've already passed that tipping point and it probably won't work. Um, and that is a discussion you need to have with your electrophysiologist or EP. If you don't have one, you need one. There are sources. You can go to the Heart Rhythm Society website and find an EP in your area. Anyone with atrial fibrillation deserves at least one consultation with an electrophysiologist or EP. Thank you. Um, and in closing, just remind you that if you want to be seen in our clinic, we have one day access to world-class cardiovascular care. You don't need a referral. Just call our clinic, 801-266-3418 to schedule. Unfortunately, we can only do in-person visits. I wish I could answer your online questions, participate in the comments. I just don't have the bandwidth. Um, with four children, a busy job, so much going on, I just cannot get to it. I wish I could, but I can't. Um, if you want my time for your own individual care, I need to see you in my clinic. I'm sorry, I wish I could be online and answer your questions all day long, um, but I wouldn't be a very good father. Um, to my children or husband, to my wife. Um, and I'd also probably go crazy because I couldn't be exercising myself and eating lots of healthy food. Um, please go to my website, drjohnday.com, sign up for the newsletter. And please, if you enjoyed this, share. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you next time.